good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. And all of you who are with us online, we welcome you to Sugar Creek today. Some of you live in the region and others of you live on, in one of the other states in the country and some of you live around the world. And we are so grateful that you've chosen to be with us for worship today. Last Sunday, I asked everybody that would be interested if you would sign up for e-news. It's a Friday e-news email that we send out. We've been sending out for years. Sort of gives you information about what's going on in the church, but I wanted to use it in a different way or add a way. We still do all the announcements in there, but I wanted to be able to embed some of uh, videos that I have encountered and other materials I've encountered that help us really address some of the social issues, the moral issues, the um, um, uh, spiritual issues that we encounter. And so we started, this last Friday we started. What's interesting is that uh, my e-news went to my spam. Mine! I'm the one that sent this thing out and it went to my own spam. And I think it went to my spam because it had a couple of videos embedded, I don't know for sure. But if you didn't get the e-news on Friday, but you are signed up to get it, you ought to check your spam because it may be there, then you can give it the okay to continue to receive it on a regular basis. I wanna, I, I, what I did is I shared some information that quite honestly has been canceled in the culture. You won't hear it anywhere that deals with transgenderism and what is, what is actually there. Why all of a sudden did five years ago, um, why did this all change? It never been this way in history. Why did it change? Why did it begin to affect teenage girls when it never had before? What happened and why does it continue to be perpetuated? So I'm giving you some information from a psychologist and from other sources that I think were very helpful and they give you information that you cannot give, you're forbidden you are literally forbidden to receive this kind of information from any of the social networks and from national news. So I wanted that you to be able to have access to that, and I have a different subject this next Friday, and I hope that you will be a part of that. You can sign up for eNews on the landing page for the QR code or on the homepage of the app or uh, on the website. It just so happens that my two favorite teams square up to play for the American League Championship Series starting tonight. Uh, I have been a longtime Rangers fan, you, you know that, and I've been booed several times for that. And then, but 30 years, for the last 30 years, I've uh, also been an Astro fan. And so in June, when I discovered that the Rangers had figured out how to play baseball again, uh, I started telling people, you know what would be the greatest thing that could ever be? What if these two teams ended up in the playoffs and ended up playing each other for the American League Championship Series? And that is exactly what is happening. Now, it's going to be a lot of fun, but uh, I want to tell you, uh, I can't lose. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, if, but I can't lose. And so, the tension's way down, the pressure's way down, and it's gonna be exciting to see what happens this next week. John Stanley, who lives in Middleborough, Massachusetts, put a log on the fire. He already had a fire in his fireplace. He took a log and he 
toss it in, and to his shock, in about 30 seconds to 60 seconds, there was an explosion. And he looked up, and there was a huge hole in his ceiling. He was just glad it wasn't in him. A huge explosion. So what happened? Well, when they got all the information, they discovered that that log came from a tree that was in a field that was a firing range during World War II. And somehow a live shell ended up embedded in the tree. How that happened, who knows? And it had been waiting for 70 years. 70 years, the right situation, the right moment, boom, it exploded. And I make that illustration for us because the truth is, that's what we experience in relationships. We don't even know what's going on inside that person's head. We don't know what the problems are. We don't know what the issues are. We don't know what they've experienced. We don't know what all the frustrations are and all the anger is. But suddenly, we could be with another individual and some little thing, boom, and there is an explosion. And that's part of what makes it so hard to have interpersonal relationships. We don't know what's going on in the brains of other people, but all of a sudden, we will get the results. Interpersonal relationships are hard. They're difficult. Even if you know a person well, interpersonal relationships are so challenging. But it's so important because it's so critical to your success. A Stanford University study, there's studies about everything, and a Stanford University study did a study on success. What are the ingredients to success? And this surprised me. I mean, the, how far away these two issues were really surprised me. They discovered that 87% of success is people knowledge. No matter what field you're in, 87% of success is people knowledge. It's people skill. And only 13% is product skill, product knowledge. I knew, that, I knew people skill without, because I've heard other things, but that far removed from each other, I was shocked. And so here's the truth. You cannot be a success in your life if you do not grab hold of people skills. It is not something you can put on the back shelf. It's not something that you can ignore because 87% of your success will be because of people skills that you have. Parents, you know what that says? It says, okay, you can have some electronic time, but you got to get away from electronics. You don't develop any people skills. Uh, Hand-eye coordination, okay. But you don't create any people skills by being on electronics all the time. You gotta be with people. You gotta have communication. You gotta learn how to talk. You gotta learn how to deal with strange people. You gotta, you gotta learn how to have people skills if you are gonna be successful at all. And as parents, we're striving to help our children be successful and we're getting them a good education. And yay God for that. But an education they've gotta get is the idea of learning how to get along with other people. And that's what the series is actually about. We're talking about healing in this series, Broken Relationships. 
Now, the next three weeks in this series is going to be what goes wrong. Why does it happen? Why do I have the reactions I have? And then how can I fix it? How can I get better at my people skills in a hurtful, difficult situation? But today, I want to center in on the idea of just some practical tips in getting along with other people. All the series is coming from the book of Ephesians, from the last half of chapter 4 of Ephesians to the first half of chapter 5 of Ephesians. And we're just going to follow the passage, and we're going to let it teach us about how to deal with hurtful relationships, how to heal them, and how to get along with others better. So this morning, I want to talk to you about some practical things about how you can improve your relationships. Now, it's not everything. It's only the things that it is talking about in the passage. So look with me in the passage. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and notice what he says. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. In other words, would you stop lying That's what he's actually saying. And speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, there is nothing new in this passage, so I'm admitting that at the beginning. You know all this. But even though we know some things in our life, we let them slip, we drift away, we find ourselves in situations in which we knew better, but here we are. And this is what this passage is going to help us with today. There's three key issues that he deals with in the passage about improving our relationships with others. And the first one is we got to get control of our tongue. If we want to have a better relationship with other people, we've got to get in control of our tongue. The Bible says that our tongue is like a fire. That our tongue burns people around us. Our tongue burns up our opportunities. Our tongue can burn up our promotions. Our tongue can even burn ourselves. Oh, we got to get a hold of our tongue. And two things he talks about. He didn't talk about everything with the tongue, but two things about the tongue he talks about. First of all, a tongue under control tells the truth. Tells the truth. Ephesians 2.25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Stop lying, he says, and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? Because we are all members of one body. Kathy and I have been at Sugar Creek for 21 years now, and a few months after we came, 
uh, she, her car started having problems. So I took it in to a repair shop that was I just passed all the time, so I took it in. They said, Mr. Hartman, uh, the problem is you need a water pump. And I said, how much is that going to cost? He said, $800. Well, I don't know the price of things, but $800, that just seemed like a whole lot of money. And I decided, I, I'm not going to make a decision yet on $800. So I said to him, thanks a lot, and you know, I, I'll, I'll give it some thought. And I drove off his property and drove onto the property of another repair shop. And the repair shop I went to, number two, I didn't know nothing about them. I just liked their name. I'm serious. It was as shallow as that. I didn't know anything about them. I just liked their name. So I drove on to their lot. And I said, okay, I'm having a problem with the car. And the guy looked it over and came back and said, Mr. Hartman, you need a water pump. I said, what is that going to cost? He said, $400. Now, if people are giving me money, I like 800 better than 400. But if I'm giving someone else money, I like 400 better. So I said to him, um, when can you work on it? He said, just keep it here, leave it here. We'll get right to it. I've got one other car I'm about to finish. So I called Kathy. She came and got me, took me home because I didn't want to be there all day long because they say it's two hours and they really mean six. So I'm not going to stay. So then about an hour later, I got a phone call from the guy and he said, Mr. Hartman, you know what happened? We got down to the water pump and we saw two bolts that were loose. They just worked themselves loose. We tightened up those bolts and we started your engine. There's no leaking. I don't think you need a water pump. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no. I said, well, what do I owe you? He said, nothing. Just the next time you come, uh, next time you have a problem, come here. We, we would love to be able to service you. <laughs> Did you know that he could have put a new water pump on there? And I wouldn't have been any wiser. He could have made four. He lost $400. So guess where I took my cars after that? Time after time after time after time. And guess where I never took my car again? Why is this? Because nothing is more important to any relationship than trust. And it doesn't matter what, tr- what relationship it is. We are to tell the truth. Why? Because what holds us together is trust. What holds your family together is trust. You can make wrong decisions, you can mess up, and you, you admit, and okay, you may be in trouble for a little while, or uh, uh, you may be embarrassed, but your trust is intact. Did you know when you lose your trust how hard it is to get it back? You cannot lie to your family. Why? Because what holds your family together is trust. What holds our church together is trust. And I'm the lead pastor, and I know I have to speak 
the truth. I have to be honest. And I don't mean about the Bible. Of course I have to do that. But I got to be honest in the dealings. And I have said to the finance committee, they'll tell you if they've ever served on the finance committee, I got a, a yearly little speech I give. And one, of the, and one of the things I say in the speech, I will never lie to you. If we know something about money, about finances here, we will always tell you, we will never hide it from you. And if we screwed up, if we made wrong decisions, we'll be embarrassed. But we will always tell you the truth. Why? Because what holds us together is trust. And that's true in your job, that's true in every aspect of your life. You gotta be honest. You've got to tell the truth because what holds us together is trust. Line always rips the fabric of trust that holds us together. And there are some in the room right now, and you are thinking, hot dog, I did not see this coming in the sermon today, but now I've always wanted to tell a few people exactly what I thought about them. And I have to speak the truth so I can hardly wait. Well, the Bible anticipates that. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speak the truth in love. <sighs> Rats. <laughs> Sometimes we have to confront you have to, and it's hurtful, but every time we need to speak the truth, there should be a desire to repair the, the, the relationship, the situation, with a graciousness in our, our words, not a desire to hit the person that might have wounded you, because you hit that person, that person will then hit you back, and then you hit that person, and then they'll hit you back, and it'll just keep on going. We have to speak truth, and when it's confrontation, in kindness. There's a second thing that he teaches us in the passage about the tongue. Our tongue, under control, encourages each other. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome mean rotten sour. That's what the word unwholesome means. Talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, one of the things, I love so many things about Houston, I just, I, it'd be all day. But one of the things that I love is the grass that's here. St. Augustine. Look, I had never encountered St. Augustine until I came to Texas, and I love St. Augustine grass. It is, it's really beautiful. I mean, if it really is thriving, it's beautiful, it's strong. Uh, I love it. I love St. Augustine grass. Have you ever mowed your lawn and you have St. Augustine grass and you collected the clippings and you put the clippings in a plastic bag? You put it in a plastic bag, it didn't get to the trash, you meant to, but maybe it didn't get there. And then a week has gone by, and then have you ever, for whatever reason, I don't know why we would do it, reopen the bag after one week? It will literally knock you to the ground. It will knock you down. I have never smelt such sour, terrible, stinking mess as St. Augustine, one week old, in the bag. And what he's saying to you and I is, stop knocking other people down with your words. Stop having sour, mean words. 
coming out of your mouth toward a person that loves you. Job 16, 4 and 5 says, I could spout out my criticisms against you and shake my head at you, but that's not what I'm going to do. I would speak in a way that helps you. I will try to take away your grief. Anybody can criticize, but only some people build up. Proverbs 16, 24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. I've had people in every church I've pastored that I have thought, I want to be like that person. And you have to. You've had people that you, I wish I was more like that person. And I've had people that I honestly and truthfully have thought, I, I got I to gotta pay more attention. I want to be like that person. And did you know that in every one of those situations, I sort of thought through those people that I've so deeply respected and want to be like them. And every one of them, it's because of their tongue. It's because of the kindness of their words. It's because they always find something positive to say. They, it's because they really care for other people. And those kinds of things have caused me in individuals, in every church I've been in, individuals to gravitate toward them. I want to be like that. And I'll bet the same is true for you. He doesn't talk about everything about uh, controlling our tongue, but these two things, he says, work on these two things. Tell the truth and be kind. Second of all, he says, respond wisely to negative moments. Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. And this is the surprise in the passage. In this, these two verses, he says that anger is not sinful. There is an anger that is not sinful. You can be angry, he said, but just don't sin. Wow, I mean, isn't that a surprise? There are three Greek words for anger, and the first one is thumos, and it is exactly the way it sounds. Boom, an explosion. It's like a volcano. Thumos. You just knock the top off the thermometer. You, it just is explosion, anger. A violent kind of anger. There's a second word, paragasmos, which means like a pressure cooker kind of anger. It's a simmering anger developed into a long-seated resentment kind of thing. When, when I was growing up, our family had a humongous garden, and everybody did. Every, little, every, literally everybody had a garden. And my mom, I'm telling you, she couldn't even, you can't, she couldn't touch a, a plant without it just going crazy. She just had it. She had that green thumb we talk about. And so we had a garden. It was unbelievable. It was incredibly successful. She ran the whole garden. And then when it came to harvest time, the bottom line was this. If you want to eat this next year, and I personally enjoyed eating, then you help 
harvest. And so we're out there, we're picking green beans and we're snapping off the ends and we're going through all this stuff. And as a little kid, oh, good grief, I hated this, but I love to eat them. And so we, and then what would happen is my mom would can all these things and she, everything come in, we just had tons of stuff. And she had a pressure cooker. I, to this day, can't really describe the science that goes into the pressure cooker. What I did know is this. It had a thermometer on the top, and she had to screw it the top on. That tells you something when you got to screw the top on it. And then you light a fire underneath, and you can't see anything. It's just a pot, and there's a fire, and you can't see anything going on inside that pot. Not one thing, but I'm telling you, that intensity was inside, and if you don't shut it off at some time, it, that's why it's got that little thermometer at the top. Don't go past this. It'll blow the top. And then what happens inside of us is that we're building up, building up, building up, building up, and the people don't even know. They can't even see from the outside, but it's building up, and all of a sudden, thumos everywhere. The third Greek word is orge, O-R-G-E. And this is a righteous indignation. And this is the word that Jesus, I mean, that Paul uses in this verse. You can be angry and it not be a sin. It's orge. It is a righteous indignation. A righteous indignation is when you see someone you love and they're being mistreated. When you see someone's rights taken away from them, when you see someone mistreated, and you may not even know who they are, but you are a witness of it, and it, there's this anger that rises up in you. How dare you do that to that person? It is a righteous indignation when you see someone else harmed or when you're harmed. And it's not right it's not fair. There was a study done, and apparently it was a cooperation between two universities, Columbia University in New York and Oregon State College. And they collaborated in a study. There are studies, as I said, about everything. And here's what they were studying. How often do men get angry? How often do women get angry? And here's what they discovered. They discovered that the average man, now notice that, that you may be different. This isn't saying everybody, it's just saying the average person. The average man gets angry six times a week. The average woman gets angry three times a week. And this is why women think, what, what is wrong with all these men? They're just angry all the time. What is their problem? Well, okay, this is their problem. The average man gets angry six times a week, and the average woman gets angry three times a week. And furthermore, they discovered that the average man gets angry over things. This thing was not right. That thing cost too much. That thing broke down. Things Men get angry. This is just not everybody, but this is just average men. 
over things. And I can't explain it. I'm not pretending to be, know anything it, uh, that other people don't already know. But here is my suspicion. From the time I was a little boy, I saw my dad and my mom as different people. And I saw my father as a fix-it guy. I saw my father as having to make some hard decisions. I saw my father as the protector of my family. Now, I didn't, I'm not meaning that my mom didn't make decisions. She made decisions all the time. I'm not saying she didn't protect. She protected all the time. I'm just saying that I saw my father take a greater responsibility of protection and decisions and fix it. Then I saw my mom. I saw my mom do other things that I didn't see my dad do. So when I became a man and I got married, I took on that role. I am the fix-it guy. I'm not saying Kathy can't fix. She can fix things. But I felt a deeper responsibility to be the protector of my family, to be the fix-it person of my family, to make hard decisions. And then when I made wrong decisions... I tried my best, but it didn't turn out to be right. I was embarrassed. I'm telling you, men have egos. I guess you figured this out by now. And a man's ego can be wounded really easily. And I felt I had failed my family. I didn't protect my family well enough. I didn't make the right decisions about my, for my family. I, I couldn't fix that. What, what is wrong with me? I think... Some of that may be why men respond the way they do. It is an ego. It is a sense of failure. And you're saying, you didn't fail. What do you do? Don't feel that way. Well, he still does. Women in the study, it showed, tend to be angry at people. Uh, someone slighted me. Someone hurt my feelings. Someone did something against me. Men tend to blow that off, not always. Women tend to blow off the things, not always. But maybe that's a difference between us. Depends on the family. What's my point? Satan knows whatever your hot buttons are. And he knows how to set you up in anger. He knows. And Paul is saying... Whatever is the hot button for you. Be angry and don't sin, which means stay in control. That's all it means. Be angry, but stay in control. So what does in control mean? Well, he goes on to explain it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Second of all, do not give the devil a foothold. What do these two things mean? Well, I believe that one of them is don't let the sun go down upon your anger means limit your anger's duration. Okay, you're angry. It's okay. You're not a robot. But don't hang on to it. Limit its duration. Be in control. Don't let the anger be in control of you. You be in control of it. Okay, you're angry but limit its duration. Second of all, limit 
its intensity. Don't let Satan get a foothold in your heart by letting it get out of control. Limit the intensity. You can get angry at people, at situations, in your relationships, but stay in control. And that's what Paul is teaching us in relationships. There's one last thing. Do not let things ruin your relationship with others. Ephesians 4, 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Honestly, when I first read this, and not this time when I studied, because I've studied this passage before, when I first studied this passage, I said, what? There were people stealing in the church? The people in the first century were all perfect. But as it turns out, no, they weren't. And there were actual people that were part of this church that were stealing. And he said, stop stealing. Now, why do people steal? If you just back up from the stealing to before it happens, nobody just steals. Somebody steals because they first coveted. I want something I can't get. I want something somebody else has. It's called coveting. Someone only steals because they first coveted. So don't covet or steal what belongs to someone else. And here's the truth. There will always be people in your life that have more things than you. It's just life. It's never going to change. There's always going to be people that have more stuff than you. And even if you got more stuff, then you're in a different sphere, and there's still people that have more stuff than you, and that will be the case forever. And there are people in your life that have less stuff than you. And that's more people in the world that has less stuff than you have right now. There'll be people that have more, there'll be people that have less. Stop coveting what you don't have. That's what he's saying. Now, I want to tell you, Kathy and I, all of our ministries, has turned out, we've got, we've got friendships, really close friendships with people that have got a ton of money, so much money, it's kind of unbelievable that we built friendships with. And we have people that are deep, close friends that don't really have much. And everything in between. And there have been times in which we have gone to somebody's house that has just tons of money, and they have an unbelievable house. And when they have left, we have left their house, and we got in our car, I'm being honest. I'm telling you the absolute truth. In all of our marriage, my wife has never, ever expressed a covetous attitude towards somebody. Never. I'm just being honest with you. We get in the car, we're on our way home, and Kathy said, wow, what a beautiful home. And then she always says, I mean, it's every time, words that, are, that mean, but you know what? I love my house better. And you know, part of that is just, she, she's being honest, but part of that, I think, is for me. Because she's saying to me, and I want you to know, you are an incredible provider. That is really important to a man.
So, stop wanting what somebody else has. Come to a place that I don't have to have all those electronics and I don't have to have all those things and I don't have to have that kind of car and I don't need to have that house. I don't need to have it. I'm doing great. And thank God that he has blessed us the way he has. And that's actually what he's saying. Coveting is sort of like stealing with your imagination. You've got enough. You have enough. Be thankful for what God has already given to you instead of wanting what somebody else has. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean everything that happens to us is God's will because some things that happen to us is because we sinned, we screwed up, and now we pay the price for it. God didn't want that to happen. But here's what is God's will, that in every situation, no matter what it is, we are thankful to God because if we are, we'll know that God is going to turn this around for good in my life. And God, I'm thankful. I don't know how you're going to turn it around, but I know you're going to turn it around, and I know it's going to be even better for me. And I'm willing to trust you for that. That's what what he's saying. Stop coveting what you don't have. Second of all, work hard to meet your own needs. Be a hard worker. Support yourself. Stand on your own two feet. Be responsible. Earn your own way. Let God promote you. See, I'm convinced that if we'll learn people skills and how to treat people and how to get along with people and we will learn product skills, that the two combined will make you such an incredible employee that your boss will want to promote you. And if it's not now, it's going to be, it's coming because You are an incredible employee. So be patient because God is going to promote you. You're working hard. You're getting great people skills. You're learning and you're treating people well. Here's the last one. Care about others in need while you take care of yourself. I've shared with you that early in in our marriage, um, boy, we didn't have much of anything but that's the way most families are, isn't it? I mean, most families get started, they don't have much, and you're used to having all the, everything your parents have, and then all of a sudden you're on your own, and oh my soul, it is awakening time. I do not have all the things I was used to having. Wow, this is real life? And most people go through that, and we did. We didn't have much at all. We just, for the first few years, we were just, just trying to get by. And we learned how to manage our money, and that's part of what God had in mind. We also learned how to trust God. Well, a weird month happened, and we had surplus. Oh, my soul, I was just praising God up one side, down the other. I was saying this is one of my greatest days. I got surplus. We knew, we, we knew how to save. We knew how to do all that. And I was so excited. Look at all the money we're going to put into our savings account. And then I was a pastor at the time of a small church in, out in the country. And it started with 20 people. We'd grown to 100. And it was just incredible what God was doing. So many people were getting saved. And there was a family in that church that were really a good good people. We had gotten to know them. They were just really great people. They barely could get by. They had a couple of kids and they were doing their best, but they could just barely get by. And then I found out 
uh, they had some bills, some uh, medical bills. They, that it wasn't their fault. And now uh, they were really hurting. They couldn't pay. They couldn't pay the medical bills. And the bills were coming due. And so I heard. Kathy and I talked about it. And uh, I love saving money. And I love having an excess. But we began to feel like God was telling us to help them. So we found out who the doctor was and we drove together. We wanted this to be a together moment early in our marriage and we drove to the doctor's office together and went in and as it would be, the amount they owed the doctor was the exact amount we were over for the month. And we paid the whole amount. And we said to them, you're not allowed to tell them into this day. They don't know who paid their bill. So we got back in the car, and I can still see us in the car. I can still see us driving away, and I can still hear us. We were cheering God. We were celebrating. It was an incredible moment. It was a special moment in the beginning time of our marriage in which we had helped somebody else, but other people had helped us. We had helped other, this family. No, they would not know who it was, and we were cheering, and it was a great time, and did you know we never missed that money? We kept right on going. God kept taking care of us. We were fine. But we learned a great lesson about part of our money is to meet our needs and part of our money is to help somebody else that is in need. You know all this. So here's my question. What difference would it make in your family if your family members' tongue, tongues were in, under control? What difference would it make in your home if your tongues were under control, if your anger was under control, and if your desire for things was under control. Look, if you are online and you are hearing what everything has been said, and the truth is you don't know Christ yet. You've never given your heart to the Lord. You can today. And Pastor Dave Grummey, he's got such a pastor's heart. And, and he is in charge of the online ministry. And those uh, volunteers that are helping him or the chat hosts, would you open your heart to knowing Christ as your Savior? And you can today. And Pastor Dave is going to show you how to do that. And that's true for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would use your word in our heart today to change us and to change our family and to change our work environment and to change every part of our life and use us as change agents because we decide to come under your control. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.